was only a Camden problem. <laughs> it's universal. Praise God. Good to be here with you all today. My name is Pastor Ernie Grant. I don't like that introduction Kurt gave me, your pastor, but I'm going to let it live. I remember we both had hair, you know, so <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that. Praise God for you. <clears throat> Happy to be here to share the gospel of Jesus with you all. I think our churches do a, a, a wonderful, wonderful job of talking about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Um, but today I want to focus on an area that we don't spend as much time on, which is the burial of Jesus. Uh, because I think it's a lot of richness that's packed in our passage or in the burial narrative. So would you get with me and mark the 15th chapter? Mark the 15th chapter. And I'm going to be in the 42nd verse. Mark the, 40, mark the 15th chapter, 42nd verse. <coughs> and it says, And when the evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who himself was looking for the kingdom of God, took courage, went to Pilate, asking for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning, summoning his, the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in the tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jose, saw where he was laid. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for the abundance of your mercy and grace that you have shown to us so richly in your son, Jesus. God, I pray that you will sit me down now um, and that your spirit will testify on behalf of your son, um, that you would anoint the, the listening ears and use me as you so see fit. And we honor you on this day in Jesus' name. Amen. On a frigid evening in the winter of 1909, Booker T. Washington, a leading abolitionist in the, the late 19th, early 20th century, stepped to the stage at New York City's Republican Club in Manhattan, and he gave a rousing speech to a packed crowd in an address called the Address on Abraham Lincoln. And in this address, he talked about the assassinated president's impact on this nation by signing the Emancipation Proclamation, which abolished slavery with one pinstroke. And after a civil war, it freed some four million African Americans and another 26 million of other races. It was in that very same speech that he used a phrase that would become a fixture in America's vocabulary when he said, one man cannot hold another man in the ditch without remaining in the ditch with him. This phrase turned into the statement that we all love so much, you can't hold a good man down. Uh, and, as, and that is to say that a competent person will succeed despite any obstacles. And as we reach our passage this morning, I couldn't help but to think that Booker T. Washington's words reached their realization in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, you and I are tainted with sin, but Jesus, the ultimate good man, uh, the one that's superlative in majesty, 
Uh, he was buried and resurrected uh, to show that it was no obstacles in heaven above. And there were no obstacles in the earth beneath that could hold the good man down. So today, as we look at the, the relevant verse, verses on the burial and resurrection, I want to label this text, I might be down, but not for long. I might be down, but not for long. Let's look at four facets today. We're going to look at God's clock. We'll look at Joseph's courage, Jesus' committal, and Christ's catacomb. You know, I tried to get those to alliterate and all that. Pastor, you know what I mean? Pastor Kirk, I know you see that. <laughs> Verse 42 and 43 sets the scene of Jesus' burial here. And it's placed on what's called the day of preparation. This was the day before the Sabbath. And we know that the Sabbath is a holy day, one that's distinct for rest and worship. So the Jews would have had to carry out all of their chores on this Friday or on the day of preparation because it would have been forbidden to be done on the Sabbath day. And additionally, this was since the new day began at 6 p.m., in order to not defame the Sabbath, the bodies that were rotting on the cross, which would normally be there for over a week's time until they decayed and the crows start to eat them, had to be taken down. Uh, and furthermore, there was an additional factor, because this wasn't just any Sabbath, this was, this was considered the special Sabbath, or the great Sabbath. It was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, so it was expedient, that it was imperative that there was an expedient burial as to not defile the land. So shortly after Jesus' death, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a rich man, he was, a, he was an affluent man, he mustered up the courage to go ask Pilate for the body of Jesus so that Jesus could have a proper burial. And though he was a part of the Sanhedrin, which is part of the religious elite group that conspired to kill Jesus, Joseph himself did not consent with Jesus' murder. But rather, he, he thought that Jesus got an unjust trial and execution, and he was a part of another group of Jews that were looking to the comprehensive reign of God being inaugurated in the kingdom of God. Y'all with me? So, so, for, so the first thing let's, let's look at is God's clock. Let's look at God's clock. Mark goes through great detail in this passage to talk about Jesus' burial. And we see the Lord begins pulling on Joseph's heart to fulfill his word. So not only was Jesus fulfilling God's redemptive plan in the atonement, but he was also fulfilling God's redemptive plan in his burial. Look, Isaiah 53, 8, speaking of Jesus, it says, his, his grave was planned to be with the wicked. And verse 53, 9 turns and says, and a grave turned out to be with the rich. So in other words, Jesus was supposed to be dumped in a trash pile like everybody else, like all the other criminals. But what happened is the Lord worked in the heart of Joseph so that instead of being buried with the criminals, Jesus would have his body taken to a new tomb of Joseph. Y'all with me on that? So, so, so he was... He was going to be casted away, but God used this rich man to bury him in his own tomb. So what is this saying? Number one, it says that, that God is very meticulous about fulfilling the scriptures. Yeah, yeah, God is very meticulous about fulfilling his word. But also, I think it shows his carefulness to do things in his timing. Yeah, yeah, and maybe that's a news flash that all of us need to hear 
time and time again is that God does things at his time and in his way, in his manner, and not our own. Because look at Joseph's actions here. Joseph didn't show any boldness during Jesus' public ministry. Joseph didn't show any boldness during the trial and the crucifixion. But he showed boldness during the time and in the season that the Lord so saw fit. So we can, we can deduce this. God prompts us to do things in specific seasons of our life that he doesn't in others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now I know this word seasons because we watch TBN and the Word Network. It gets demonized sometimes. But it's a thoroughly biblical word. The writer of Ecclesiastes tells us there is a time for every season under the sun. For there is a time for every matter under the sun. And Paul uses this again in Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 when he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not, not as unwise, but as wise, making best use of the time. The word that he uses for time here is not talking about a lifespan, but rather a specific season. So Joseph's act shows that you can follow the Lord's leading you in any season that you find yourself in. Because we have a God for every season. Some of us in here are in the springs of life. A new opportunity seemed to be bursting forth for you. Uh, everything seems to be coming together. Everything that you've been hoping and praying is starting to come to fruition. Others of you are in the summers of life, just like the sun beats down on the hot ground. You found yourself being beat down on. Everything seems to have dried up. Every situation that you touch seems to have gone away. Many of us are even in the fall season where you're starting to hit your stride in life. You're starting to see some of your goals that you've been trying to attain. You're starting to hit them. Others have found themselves in a cold winter. You in a harsh winter of life. Nothing seems to be going your way. But I'm here to tell you today that regardless of what season you're in, God will help preserve you and help you during that season. But you can't lose hope. You can't lose hope because too often we get in difficult situations in life and we, want, we think it's the end. We think disaster is near. But God is helping us in those sanctifying seasons to trust in his power and stop being self-reliant on ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So let me give you two application points before I move on. Number one, find contentment in the season that you're in. Yeah, yeah. F find contentment in the seed. Paul said in, in Philippians 4, he said, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. I, I know how to do good and I know how to do bad. I know what it's like to experience lack, but yet God is sufficient and I can do all things through him. Uh, and secondly, we, we remember in that season that we have to continue to proclaim the gospel to ourselves. That same God that we sat up here and sang about, that same Jesus that we declared is the king of majesty and the king of glory, he is there to help us in the fair weather times and the difficult seasons. So we got to trust in Jesus during these seasons. And another thing I can say is stop comparing your situation to somebody else. Stop, stop wanting to be in somebody else's situation because you don't know what they've gone through to be there. You don't know the tears that they cried at night. You don't know the hardship and the pain that they experienced. So I'm telling you, don't, don't always compare your situation to somebody else. And I'll give you a second application point before I move on. 
Number two, act appropriately in that season. In other words, you wouldn't plant grain in the wintertime in Philly, just like you would not shovel snow in Philly in the summertime. So in other words, some things are appropriate for you to do in specific seasons of your life that are not appropriate in other seasons of your life. They're not appropriate. So, so when you find yourself in that problem, ask God for wisdom and discretion about how you need to move and act in that time. And stop trying to do isolated Christianity without your covenant community, not going to community groups and kicking it with other Christians that can help you keep accountable to that. Y'all with me in here on that? All right, so, so, so y'all know about seasons. We, we don't want to talk about it too much. All right, now let's talk about Joseph's courage here. Joseph's courage. Now, Joseph went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus so that he could give Jesus a proper burial. Now, now why, did that take, why did that take courage? I'm glad you asked. Because Rome typically did not release bodies of criminals that had died on the cross to family members or friends. They didn't. Uh, they took the bodies and they dumped them in a place called Gehenna, which is a trash pile on the outside of the city. Uh, and that's what Jesus uses commonly for a metaphor of hell. Uh, so, so Joseph could have received some governmental sanctions for uh, even approaching Pilate on the matter. But also, he faced some social consequences also, because this was him letting the Sanhedrin know, the people that didn't like the God that he served, that he was on the Lord's side. Uh, he, this was him letting them know that I'm no longer going to face your tyranny. I'm no longer going to allow myself to be taken advantage of you. I'm on the Lord's side, and I'm going to be an advocate for Jesus. So, so, so he had governmental sanctions, and he had social consequences. Now, what was happening here? I, I, and as he approached Pilate to his own detriment, I think what the Lord was doing was calling Joseph up out of his comfort zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a comfort zone is a place where we have low anxiety. It's a place where we feel like we're in control. It's a more stable environment, and it really hinders us from growing and is an impediment to our sanctification process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so like Joseph, God is calling us in here to get outside of our comfort zone. Because he's trying to get us to grow and mature in a way that will glorify him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so I know that some of you feel that urgent and you've talked to your community group. You've talked to your pastor. You've talked to your mentor. You've talked to your accountability partner. It's been affirmed by others. You just have to embrace the adversity and do what the Lord said. Yeah. Hillsong wrote a song about this. They said... Spirit, lead me. Where my trust is without borders, let me walk upon the waters wherever you may call me. And I like that, but I like what the church mothers used to say about it. The church mothers would say, baby, you just need to step out on faith. Yeah, yeah. You, you need to do something in faith, not knowing the outcome, because the risk, the reward is worth the risk of what you're going to go through. So, so, so we've got to stop Fighting to stay in our comfort zone when it's hindering our sanctification process. 
Because when you get out of your comfort zone, it's you making a declaration to Jesus that I trust in your ability to lead me, Jesus. I I know that I've been trying to lead myself, Lord, but I'm going to get up out of my little box of comfort and I'm going to trust you all the more to lead me in whatever season I find myself in. I tell you like this. One theologian said this. He said, do 80% of what the Bible tells you to do. So read your Bible. Disciple men and women. Make sure you're loving your family, loving your community. And the good thing about God is he will show you the other 20%. That's what he's saying. So when y'all feel like things is going wrong while you're in your comfort zone, just trust that God is providentially leading you in that season to help you look more like him. Amen? All right, so let me go on. So we've seen God's clock here. We've seen God's clock. And we've seen Joseph's courage. Now I want to look at Jesus' committal or Jesus' burial. Verse 46 and 47. So the body was granted to Joseph. And as the Gospel of John states, he wasn't alone. He had his boy Nick with him, Nicodemus. Y'all remember him, John 3. So he had him with him. So what they did was they went through great pains to prepare Jesus' body for this burial. So, so they went to the site, and as Jesus' lifeless corpse fell into their arms, they laid him down, and they began to clean up the dried blood. They began to clean up the, the dirt that had been caked in his wounds. They began to wipe his body, get rid of the sweat on his body. And it was their custom that they would wrap him in linen. And then after they wrapped him in linen, they would place his body in the tomb. And the tombs were more like caves during that time. And then they rolled the, they rolled the stone in front of the cave. Beloved, let me tell you something. It's fair to say that as they cleaned Jesus and as they placed him in the tomb, that whatever was on Jesus got on them. Would you agree with that? So whatever Jesus had on his body got on their body and their clothes when Jesus fell into his lifeless arms. So so it's fair to say that Joseph and Nicodemus were covered in the blood of Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this imagery makes me happy today. I don't know about you because the same blood, that was on Nicodemus and Joseph, literally. It's the same blood that Jesus covers his church with today. Yeah, it's the the same blood that were on the hands and the clothes and the feet of Joseph and Nicodemus. It's the same blood that reaches to the highest mountain. Yeah, it's the same blood that flows to the lowest valley. It's the same blood that gives me strength from day to day and will never lose its power. Yeah, it's because of that blood that I have the remission of sins. It's because of that blood that I have reconciliation with the Father and, my, and the wrath against me has been averted. It's, it's the blood. Most recently, a friend of mine, he had a real tense moment. His wife had just delivered their third child. And as they lay in the room, they were elated because this was a high-risk pregnancy. But shortly after... They were smiling and jovial in the room. They noticed, the doctors noticed that she began to lose blood. And she kept losing blood. My friend told me that she lost almost four quarts of blood. 
And the doctors approached my friend and they said, sir, uh, we're going to have, in order for us to save her life, we're going to have to perform emergency surgery. And we're going to have to give her a blood transfusion. So my friend complied. They went down to the bank, the blood donor's bank. They grabbed some blood. And then they started the IV in her arm. And they hooked one end of the needle into her arm. Hooked the other end into the bag. And, 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 as, the, and as the doctor was working on her, it was the blood that was sustaining her and giving her life as she slipped in and out of consciousness. Beloved, isn't it amazing that a little bit of life has to leave out of one person in order to give life to another person? And all I'm trying to do is tell somebody here, you and I, for everybody that's in Jesus Christ, we aren't anything more than living blood transfusions. Yeah, yeah, you got life because of the blood. You, got, you have joy because of the blood. You have the remissions of sin because of the blood. And if a phlebotomist came and took my blood and they read the type, it would say King of Kings. My blood type would say Rock of Ages. My blood type would say Lily of the Valley. My blood type would say Bright and Morning Star. It's the blood of Jesus that makes the difference. It's the blood. Lastly, beloved, I want you to look at Jesus' funeral here. Let's look at Jesus' funeral. Even though Jesus healed many people, only four people showed up. Joseph, Nicodemus, and two ladies. Even though he was a comforter of many, there wasn't anybody to give a prayer of comfort. Even though many people called him Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord. Even though all of that happened, there wasn't anybody to give him a reflection about his life. Nobody was there to read the obituary. Even though he had preached to many people, there wasn't a preacher that could lift up a eulogy. Yeah, and even worse, even though he had fed 5,000 people at a time, they didn't have no repast after Jesus' funeral. Yeah, there wasn't no greens with the ham hock and the Lowry seasoning. There wasn't any macaroni and cheese with a little bit of slices melted at the end. There was no Kool-Aid mixed with the ginger ale on the white tablecloths on the table. Yeah, with the fake flour. You remember the fake flour? Yeah. Even though Jesus had a bottom dollar funeral, I think it's all right today, church, because Jesus knew that he was only borrowing the grave for the weekend. Yeah. He was only borrowing it for the weekend. Because early Sunday morning, the women went there to the tomb to anoint his body. And they were asking the question, who is going to roll the stone away? And as they walked up, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away, but it didn't bring them any joy just yet. Because grave robbers were common in that day. Somebody could have broken in and stolen Jesus' body. Somebody could have came in and destroyed him. But, with, but the text says that they saw a young man in there. And the young man had on some dazzling clothing. And they looked over and the death shroud was folded like an H&M shirt. He folded it like an H&M shirt. And then they walked over and they saw a young man. And the text says he had dazzling apparel on. So he had on a white linen suit with the crease down the middle. He had on some white gaiters that was just fresh out the store. 
And he said, don't be alarmed because Jesus of Nazareth, he has been raised. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is in the passive perfect. So what it means is that he is risen. In other words, he ain't been resuscitated. Yeah, nobody, you can kill the manhunt because ain't nobody going to be able to find him. What he was saying was the same God that offered him as a sacrifice on the cross to satisfy the just demands of the law is the same God that allowed for his spirit to come back into his body and for them to be reunited. And Jesus got up. He got up. I want to tell you today, you can't keep the good man down. What my Jesus did is he had on that death shroud, and he just did the Harlem shake of that death shroud. He put his hand on the tomb. He did the nay-nay to the tomb, moved it on out the way. He moved it on out the way. And like the old preacher would say, he got up with all power in his hand. Yeah, I like how they say it like this. He, he rose up with time in one hand. And he got up with eternity in the other hand. Yeah, see, death couldn't hold Jesus. Death said, I got Abraham, I got Isaac and Jacob. Death said, I got Shem, I got Ham, and I got Japheth. It said, I got David, I got Solomon, Jeroboam, and Isaiah. But it's something about Jesus that I just can't hold him. Something about him, I just can't hold him. What Jesus did was he tried on death for the weekend. And he looked in the mirror and he said, this just don't look right on me. This, this, this death shroud don't look good. So what my Jesus did was he shed the death shroud, woke up out of the tomb with all power in his hand. And now because Jesus lives, I can live. Now because Jesus has the power, I have power to overcome sin. I don't have to be a victim of my situation because Jesus is transforming my situation. And if you believe that in here, let's put your hands together and give the Lord some praise. Come on, you can't give him enough praise. Has he done it for you? Has he helped you out of difficult situations? Was your life in a jam? Were you in a hardship and pain and God delivered you? Y'all know my Jesus. Has he helped you when you've been in your time of trouble? Y'all know who I'm talking about. Matthew's king, Mark's suffering servant, Luke's great physician, John's word made flesh, Acts coming on the Holy Ghost. Y'all know Jesus, don't you? Y'all take a seat. Y'all take a seat. Y'all take a seat. I got to go. I got to go. I see my time's ticking away. Jesus has the, the resurrection gives us I have new life. I am a new creature in Jesus. And listen, it has, it has past ramifications, present ramifications, and future ramifications. In the past, that means now I can share in the righteousness of Jesus. I don't have to worry about feeling good enough because Jesus has already won the victory for me. He was, in, he was, on, the, he was on the track at the Olympics in heaven. He ran the 100 meters won the Olympic 100 meters, got the gold medal, and then took the gold medal off his neck and gave it to us. Now we share in the same victory that Jesus has. The debt has been paid. Stop beating yourself up over sin. Yes, you need to fight it every day, but you have to take the sovereign provision that Jesus has provided for you. The punishment is over. 
Death has been defeated. Sin has been atoned for. You can take joy in that. Presently, it means that you have your new life now. That means that you are no longer the same person that you have been. Now the power of Christ, his Holy Spirit, lives on the inside of you and is changing you more to every degree, looking more and more like him. So you don't have to worry about all of this past stuff. God is changing you. He's made you alive in him. He's transformed you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And in the future, it guarantees our future resurrection with him. It guarantees that we're going to be glorified with Jesus. Amen. When he comes back, as 1, Corinthians, as 1 Thessalonians 4 says, and he comes back with the, with the resurrection melody, that I'm going to be like him. 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to be like him in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. So we can enjoy Jesus' provision with the resurrection, his atonement for us, because he cares about us, he loves us, and he's a provided everything that we need for life and godliness. Do y'all agree with that today? Amen. Why don't you pray with me? Father, we do thank you and give you the glory and honor, for you are strong and mighty. You are mighty in battle, O oh Lord. Lord, you have helped us in our most difficult, grievous situations. Lord, you fought the biggest battle that we have, which is our sin and our iniquity. And I thank you, and we thank you as a, a corporate body for that. Father, I pray for anybody under the sound of my voice that finds themselves right now in a difficult season of life where they've been hoping and believing for you to do something. God, I pray that you will give them that comfort that you, that in which you get into our souls and allow us to take joy in whatever situation or circumstance that we find ourselves in. So, Lord, we thank you for your life. We thank you for your death. We thank you for your burial. And we thank you for your resurrection. Because in that resurrection, we are made new in you. So we honor you and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all the people of God say.